The scripture reading today is from the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 6, found on your, in your few Bibles on page 1003, verses 1 through 12. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying again the Son of God on their, to their own harm and holding him up in contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to be cursed, and it is and ends up to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belongs to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the, the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The word of God for the people of God. The Shorter Catechism, number 36, which the children probably covered a few weeks back, but, and uh, I'm sure you don't need a reminder of this, but for those of you who do, um, what in the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? The benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and perseverance therein to the end. This is um, showing us that, that there's benefits beyond knowing that when I face my Creator, I will be acquitted and um, um, declared righteous, is to say that being justified, uh, being brought into God's family, being progressively made more like Jesus in holiness, that all of these things that are part of our salvation have a benefit here and now. And that benefit is an assurance that you are beloved of God and you have been reconciled to him through the blood of Jesus Christ so that when you wake up, whatever you face for the day, whatever bad news hits you, whatever difficulties come, you know that you are at peace with God Almighty. And that is a huge blessing to know that there is something greater than what you're facing and God's love is just assured to you. And more than that, to know that we have a peace of conscience, that yes, I've sinned, but rather than that guilt being a burden on me that I carry around, I have this continual reminder that 
my blood is, my sin has been taken to the cross. The blood of Jesus covers it. I am forgiven. And, and to, to go through life knowing that you've, you've been declared innocent is another wonderful blessing. And, and just the hope of what we have, that we have a joy and a peace in the midst of a world full of anxiety and a, and a world that's full of, of raising fear, to have an assurance of the peace of the Holy Spirit and the knowledge that whatever I I'm, I'm, am today, God is at work in my life and I will not be in the future, that, that there, there is a growth in becoming more mature in the faith and patient and hopefully sinning less and doing more that's good. All of these are part of what we have in Christ and they're not little things to dismiss because without them, to think of the burden that we bear, the anxiety that we face, the fears, and that to have this comfort is a wonderful blessing. And this is the blessing that the writer of the Hebrews wants to encourage his readers and us to hold firm to. Because this is what is in danger for those who are, would turn away from Jesus and go back to other means of uh, proving yourself or saving yourself or justifying yourself. This is the whole theme of Hebrews is Jesus is greater than the prophets, than the angels, than Moses. His sacrifice is superior. His priesthood is superior. He is greater than all things. He is the one mediator. He is sufficient. Therefore, hold firm to him. Why would you ever turn away from the one who is our Savior and mediator. And so he is, um, we approach this passage, which is one of the more disputed passages in Scripture. Uh, This is one that um, different traditions, different camps kind of come to different things on. But as I've been studying this, have realized that I think we need to see it in the context and see if it maybe is answering questions that we're not asking or vice versa. Because what what is in the midst of is saying, I want to tell you things, what we talked about last week. He's saying, I want to move on to talk about Jesus's priesthood. But you're really not mature enough yet to hear this because you haven't grown in the faith. You've been dull of hearing and that word dull, remember, is more of laziness, not, not other things. It's laziness, a sluggishness to learn, and that we need to be growing and maturing. So this is part of that. Don't, we don't rip this out of the context of saying part of your maturity of growing and your understanding of God's Word. And then if we, we see at the end of this warning, and we want to hear this warning in the fullness of what it's saying and not dismiss it, but, but what we see is is that he's encouraging them to hold fast to Christ. Verse 11, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish. Same word as not listening to the word, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. In other words, his concern is that we held fast and, and hold fast to what gives us an assurance of salvation, an assurance of hope, an assurance that we belong to Christ, 
that he is with us. He will provide for us. He will declare us righteous and redeem us and bring us into eternal life. He wants us to have that assurance. And so the warning is from not pursuing maturity and falling away from that assurance. Now, with that, there can be different ways we don't have assurance. You could lack assurance, and truly be a believer. I, I, I've encountered folks who um, they, you know, they, they, they're trusting in Jesus, um, but they have doubts because of their own sin in their life, and, and they, they struggle with that, and they, they, they wonder if, you know, am I bearing fruit that shows that I'm a Christian? I keep confessing the same sin every time I pray, I'm, I'm continuing in this sin. Am I really a believer? Am I really a sinner? And everything that we see in their life is evidence that they are trusting in Jesus. They are believing in him, and yet they lack that assurance because assurance can be just a struggle that many Christians have, though they are truly Christians. They are truly in Christ and truly have hope, and yet are needing that assurance that comes through the things that Hebrews tells us it comes through. And yet, one could also lack assurance because they aren't truly a believer. One could not have assurance because they have no basis for assurance, because we kind of misunderstand what saving faith is. We, we've, we're kind of in a time when people say, raise your hand if you believe Jesus and declare you to be a Christian. And that might very well be the start of your Christian life. That very well could be saving faith. People can hear the gospel and in a moment believe and are saved. But I think the experience that many of us have is, you know, we, we learn the facts and we believe the facts and we don't doubt the facts. But believing facts aren't saving faith. James tells us the devil believes God is one, but it doesn't make him a believer. It's not trust. Believing the fact is not saving faith, which is why Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart, I never knew you. Knowing and trusting that there was a man named Jesus who died and rose again is something that is to be believed, but that's not saving faith. It goes beyond that. So many of you, like me, have had an experience where maybe at one point as a child, confirmation class or camp singing kumbaya or vacation Bible school or something where you've heard the gospel, you trust the gospel, you believe the gospel, and there's a time where it really doesn't have any impact on your life. And later, you come to a point where you say, you know, am I going to really commit to this or not? Am I going to be all in? And the conversation I've had with many people has been, you know, I've always believed, never disbelieved, but there was a point in my life where I came and I said, am I going to make this my own and I'm really going to be in? And you've, you've rested in Jesus. It's, you've moved beyond just believing facts to truly resting in him. And, and you know, I, I've shared with you probably a few weeks back that my own experience has been there's been different stages in my life where the understanding of the gospel has become clearer and my own commitment has become solid, more firm. And, and I'm not sure at which point I would say I'm a Christian, but I know it all goes back to that initial faith 
um, that initial trust. And so what I want us to say, uh, see is, as it's talking about assurance and faith and salvation, we don't need to say salvation is just someone who can mentally affirm something. They're not living in, in true trust, not exercising saving faith. We, we, just feeling guilty and, and wanting to become a better person isn't salvation. I've been on and off having conversations with a young man who feels very guilty for his sin, and I share the good news, and he just waddles in the guilt and sees his need but won't commit to trust. That, that's not salvation. Just trusting the facts isn't enough. It's trusting in those and resting in them in a saving way that matures and endures and eventually bears fruit. Not that that fruit earns anything, but it shows what is going on internally. And so that assurance that he wants us to have could be the assurance of someone who actually comes to faith, who has been going through the external motions but never really committed, or it could be an assurance of a believer who is isolating themselves from everything that might give them an assurance. And what he wants us to hear is we hold fast to our hope. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of obstruction about washings and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgments. I want you to grow. I want you to go into solid meat. I want you to get away from milk. Therefore, we're not going to lay a foundation again of these things. And all of these things, commentators point out, are things that would have been shared with the foundation of Judaism, which was the temptation of the, the Hebrews to return to. So he said, we're not going to lay this foundation. These are true. These are solid. This is the basis. This is all pointing to Jesus. This is something we hold fast to. But in Christ, we want to move beyond that to understand how he fulfills those things how he is the priest that those laying on of hands, how his blood is the, 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 the ceremonial washings, how they were pointing to that. He wants us to move on to that. And so this is what we will do because, and here is the warning that we need to hear, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up for contempt. That is to say that if someone has gone through these things, that is, if someone has been enlightened, um, they've been told the gospel. They've been instructed in who Jesus is and what our salvation is and how we trust in him and for that salvation. Um, it, it, very early in the church, the term enlightened was being used to refer to those Christians, those who have been baptized. So it very could be referring to those who have kind of gone through the instruction of the faith, kind of what we're doing with our kids in communicants class, and then been baptized. They've been brought in. They've been taught what it means to follow Jesus, taught the basics of the faith as we're teaching them these basic doctrines, how they've once been enlightened and who have tasted the heavenly gift. Uh, in, in one sense, to taste and see the Lord is good. In one sense, to experience 
what it means to follow him, to be part of the community, to trust in him, to know these things. But I, I can't help but think of the way we taste this heavenly gift, that we come to this table as a reminder of the gospel uh, into which we're trusting, this tangible external reminder of God's blessing to you, of his welcome into to his family, of his nurture and provision for you in your spiritual life. That if you've come in and you've received the basic instruction, you've even entered into the community, you've tasted of this good gift and participated in the Holy Spirit, you've shared in the Holy Spirit, that you've, in some sense, heard the call, you've witnessed the fruits of the Spirit with brothers and sisters, you've shared the community and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we all share, that you've been walking with brothers and sisters and watched the way you care for one another and love one, and you live out the gospel of humility and reliance on Christ and comforting one another. In other words, someone who has become part of the community, heard the gospel, received the sacraments, lived with the community, for someone to have all of that and experience the goodness of God's Word and then to fall away and say, it's not for me. There's no hope. There's no other hope. There's no other hope than what we have here. This is not saying that someone can fall out of the church, not have faith, and never be restored. It's not saying that. Uh, You know, the... There are those who would become part of the church and drift away for a time, and God restores them. But what it's saying is, this is all we got. All we have is the gospel. And if the gospel is not enough for someone, there's not a plan B. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so if someone has come in and they've heard the gospel and been enlightened to that knowledge... And if they've been brought into the community of faith and participated with the thing so that they've experienced the the gospel, they've heard it, they've seen it displayed in the signs and seals of the sacraments, and if they've seen it lived out in community and they say, no, I think I'm going to go back to where I was, there, there can be no assurance because the very things that Christ offer us are the things they've rejected. And, and it's as good as crucifying them again because it's saying what you're offering is a fraud. What you're offering isn't going to satisfy me. You're, you, you're crucifying him. You're denying and rejecting the gospel. And there can be no assurance. And on an individual level, whether this is someone who has truly believed at one point but is stunted and never matures, they will never have assurance or if it's someone who has gone through motions and kind of trusted some things on an intellectual level but never really became a believer, there's going to be no assurance. They're going to return to a life of, am I good enough? Does God really love me? Is there really forgiveness for my sin? Am I going to try any hard, you know, do I have to try harder? And so the warning for us is, Don't forsake the blessing of assurance that comes with maturity. For the land that has drunk the rain often falls on it, produces a crop useful to those 
for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near being cursed and the end to be burned. So the rain comes down. And the rain in some people's yard produces really good tomatoes and peppers and corn and beautiful flowers. And the rain falls in an area that I'm taking care of, and there's things I'm allergic to, and weeds that I don't want people to see, and thorns. It's the same rain. The difference is the response of the ground. The the difference is the nature of the ground. What he's saying is the gospel comes to us as it's declared and taught. The gospel comes to us as we we see the the sacraments, the the gospel comes to us as we live together as a community of faith. And for some of us, and for some of you, that, that is going to produce work in your life, fruit in your life. It's going to give you an assurance. It's going to encourage you. You're going to grow, and you're going to look back and say, you know, I know so much more than I used to. I trust so much more than I used to. I'm not where I need to be. None of us are. But thank God I'm not where I used to be. And on the other hand, Someone comes in and, and we spend time with them and we comfort them and we pray for them and we, we teach them and we, we answer all their objections and it's thorns and it's not enough. And so there is no assurance. There is no assurance that they are truly in Christ. There's no assurance that sins are forgiven. There's no assurance of a hope that you can have. And all of this, notice, is in third person. He's talking about them because he knows who he's talking to. He's talking to the believers who, man, their their faith might be weak, but they're there. Their faith might be stumbling, and they've sinned, and they've screwed up, and they're staggering, and they don't feel like they deserve it, and but they've shown up, and they're hearing the words. I had a pastor when I was a teenager Every sermon for a very long time was the need to be in church, go to church, be at church. It's a good message. It's appropriate. It's true. We need to be in church. But about the third Sunday of the same message, I thought, I think these people have heard it. <laughs> these people are here. They, you know, this is really um, more of, you know, we, we need to be reminded, but this is for somebody else. And I think there's the same kind of thing here. Paul's saying, yeah, there's a real danger. Y'all... Don't give up on Christ. Keep on. But he's talking about them. And he says to you, that's not what I see there. You might not see it, but you're here and you're pursuing Christ. Keep on. Keep being earnest seeking that. For God has not so unjust to overlook your work and the love you have shown in serving the saints and so if, if you're struggling, if you're thinking, you know, I don't think I'm doing enough, if you're thinking, I'm, I'm not sure I believe hard enough, he's saying, you're here. You're where you need to be. Keep trusting him. Keep pursuing him and pursue that assurance of the hope that you have. Let all of these things shout to you of God's love as you hear the gospel again, as, as you receive these tokens in the sacraments, as you encourage one another. All of this is screaming the gospel that he has done a good work. We'll see it to completion. Hold firm to that. Falling away is a real danger, but he is the one who holds you, so keep trusting in him. 
be imitators of him. Don't be sluggish. Don't be lazy in pursuing these means of grace that give you an assurance. Don't be lazy in hearing his word that reminds you of the grace that is in Christ, not because of your work. Don't be sluggish in receiving the table and seeing the baptism that shows us his visibly his presence with us. Don't be sluggish with being with brothers and sisters who remind you what it is to follow Jesus. Because if you're not doing that, you're going to lose the certainty of your faith and your assurance. We need these things, and with them, we have the promise that we are His. No matter how frail we feel, we have a full assurance of hope until the end. Let me bring a few things. One is, I think all of us have loved ones that at one point were following Christ, walking with the Lord, and now aren't. And a lot of us worry for them. And what I want to just, some of the implications from this is the impossibility of restoring. I, I don't know anyone who sees that of saying, you know, if someone hadn't been here a while, they're never coming back. That's not what it means. But what it means is we, we have nothing else to offer other than the good news of Jesus, the fellowship that he's given us. And, and so we, we, we have to recognize the limits of their response to what God has given that we share with one another. And, and so what they need is the gospel and our prayers and they, they need this very gospel that we give assurance to hear because it, there's no other um, way of someone coming in. It's, it's not as though there's a, a plan B. And we also near, need to hear the warning. This is not a warning that it, you can sin too much or you, you can't work hard. You have to work hard to earn this. It is a warning that... We need to hold firm, to face the difficulties that will come, to, to face our own accusing conscience, to know that we are truly in him and to have assurance of salvation. A faith that saves is a faith that endures to the end and matures. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine, be honor and glory and power forever. Amen. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.